Daughter podcast with Chris Lynn and Kevin James. Thank you for tuning in, especially if you've been with us uh, over the past episodes as well. Just as a quick reminder, please follow us on Instagram at Water to Water Podcast and on Facebook at Water to Water. And also subscribe to us on your favourite listening platform so that you can get the episodes as they come out. Excellent. In this episode, we've got something exciting and something controversial to discuss. And as you could imagine, as you can see, the episode is titled uh, The Indian Church is dying. I mean, you could argue we're talking about the Malayali church is dying because we are Malayalis. But we thought as a generic sense, we'd go with uh, the Indian church is dying. And before we go into it any further, we're not talking about the churches in India, by the way. We're talking this evening about churches that have a significant amount of Indian people outside India. So you could have Indian churches that are in the UK, Indian churches that are in the, in the US. So that's the sort of churches that we're talking about. And the idea for this podcast, this episode, came from this article that we had read by Charles Samuel called The Indian Church Must Die. Now, if you folks just Google this on the internet, I'm sure it'll just come up. It'll be one of the first links that come up. Now, we're not saying that the Indian Church must die. We are saying that it is dying. And, you know, first of all, Charles Samuel, if you're listening to this, by the way, great idea on the title. What an excellent way to grab people's attention. Uh, and anyway, before we uh, let's let's get to it. So, Kristen, what did you think when you first read this article? Because you found it and you showed it to me. Hmm. Well, when I was first reading it, I was like, wow, you know, this guy is literally saying stuff that I've been thinking and stuff hmm. that we've been talking about. We've had quite a few conversations about this, haven't we? About yeah. um, what the future of the Indian church is. And this uh, this article was basically addressing all of those points. So at first I was like, yes, I agree with every single thing that's on this page. Yeah, I know. And then when we had this conversation, it was, I think it was a lot out of frustration from our point. And I'm glad we didn't have this conversation right at the start. Like as soon as we heard it, we didn't record ourselves in our conversations. I'm glad we didn't do that. Because, you know, the Bible teaches us to be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And so I'm glad we had this time because right now, having some time to digest information and then read it again, we not only agree with some of the things, but we actually disagree with quite a lot of the things that was addressed in that in the blog. And in this two-part series, and we are doing two parts on this, the first part, we're going to be talking about what we agree with, uh, perhaps, on this article. And then in the next episode, we'll be discussing on what things that we disagree with. That's how we're going to go uh, with it. Yeah, I mean, this article was written quite a few years ago. It's new to us, but it's actually been around for a few years now. And it caused quite a spark in the American churches and the American Indian churches. We're only finding out about it now. And it didn't cause that much of a spark here because, you know... Our churches were still quite young and we were still growing. But we're at that stage now where we're also ready to think about this. Yeah. And when you read it, what what was your thoughts? Well, reading it made me feel... I'll, I'll give you an example. So do you remember learning about Of Mice and Men? Yeah. Right? We know the story of Of Mice and Men. To, to, those, uh, to our non-English listeners, we've got at GCSE, which is the uh, exams that 16-year-olds sit... We have to learn the story about George and Lenny in Off Mice and Men. 
Now, the characters of George and Lenny. So, Lenny is very dependent on George, right? Very dependent on George. Uh, can't really do anything by himself. Uh, he's, uh, he's got some, some form of special needs. And George is the guy looking out, out for him. Uh, they're very good friends. The, the way John Steinbeck writes the story, he drags us in. And then at GCSE, we're learning the story, going through the story. And then at school, some of my friends decided to skip the story and go right to the end. And started, read the end, and, uh, spoiler alert, George kills Lenny. But due to some unfortunate circumstances that happen, George has to, has to kill Lenny uh, in the end. And that's devastating, right? And so when I read this, this article, I felt like I was reading a spoiler, just like reading how George would kill Lenny. I was reading a spoiler to how George being the uh, culture, and Lenny being the Indian church, how the culture is going to kill the Indian church. And that's what we want to address today because we don't want the Indian church to die. I mean, any sane person reading that book of Mice and Men didn't really want Lenny to die, but Lenny dies. And that's a tragedy in itself. And we don't want the same way the Indian church to die. We want to help it continue growing the way it needs to. So Chris, do you want to talk about where these churches have come from? How do these churches form for our listeners? Yeah, so, I mean, it's just a classic case of where people immigrate to another country. And obviously, when you're the pioneers in that way, <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you're the first people going to another country, it's, it's difficult. You know, you're learning a new language, new culture, new types of food, new way of living. And you have to really think how hard it was for our parents to pick up their roots and literally replant themselves so that's basically what happened and obviously when they came to this country or to the US or wherever it is they found it difficult to integrate with the churches that were already established there you know for the reasons that we've just mentioned and as a result as a community of people they just came together uh, because their faith was really important to them so they came together and formed a church of their own and you know as more and more immigrants came to the country more and more of these churches started springing up and we are basically the second generation i'd say of these immigrants and to us it might seem like you know what this whole indian church thing is just you know we don't need this in our lives we could just have a normal church but we've got to remember the reasons why these churches started in the first place it's not because our parents hate every other culture uh, which some people claim is the reason why these churches started. Racists. That's not the reason why at all. It's just a matter of when you're being vulnerable spiritually, you need a group of people who can really understand you and you can really understand. So it's more about being in the comfort zone, I'd say. Now, there are many things about having these kinds of ethnocentric churches. You know, It helps us reach people who wouldn't normally integrate into an international church. And also the community aspect of it is really, really, it's something special. For example, you know, if one member of the community is affected in any way by sickness or any financial issues, you'll get people who you don't even really know helping you out from various parts of even the world, I'd say. So that kind of stuff, I feel, in international churches doesn't happen as much, from my experience anyway. I have been to international churches when I was living away from home. And I kind of got lost in the crowd at that point. I felt like I didn't really have any proper connections. Um, I, I was just one of the people that attended rather than a member of the church. 
Yeah. A member of the body. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Now, I think it's important that our listeners understand that, and we understand that, these churches, these Indian churches or, you know, other ethnicity churches are vital for the first generation immigrants. And they fulfill, like you say, they fulfill a role that international churches cannot fulfill. For example, like our parents, you know, the quote-unquote uncles and aunties uh, that we have, they would feel spiritually starved if they don't have a community of believers that are from a similar background as them, right? Just as the current youth and the young people growing in these churches don't really relate to their parents that much and the struggles the parents went through, the same way, if these churches didn't exist, our parents and those uncles and aunties will feel the same way that we do, or some of us do anyway. Because they grew up in India, right? They grew up in India, surrounded by Indian people, and then moved here later on in their lives. And so they're so used to having Indian people around them and the Indian culture around them. Now, some of you listening might think, what, what are you guys talking about? The Indian churches are growing. There's so many people in these Indian churches, and it's, it's doing great. But that's not the argument that we're making. We're not talking about the number of people attending Indian churches because as long as you have Malayali aunties being nurses and some Malayali uncles being nurses, we will have a constant stream of immigrants coming into the country and helping the... uh, It's called stat padding in football, right? Stat padding these churches. It would look like these churches are growing, but actually they're not really doing anything to get people from that native country to join in. So it's not the same as saying, oh, our church is growing bigger because we've got immigrants coming in constantly. That's not real growth. That's just increasing the membership of a church. Yeah, not only that, but the second generation or the third generation of these immigrant families are also starving spiritually in these churches. In many cases, I'm not saying, you know, this is a generalization that we're making. Yeah. So disclaimer for that. But... um, Generally speaking, the kids are really starving. Yeah, and they will eventually leave. That's who we are talking about. We're not talking about immigrants coming in. We're not talking about first-generation immigrants. We're talking about the children and the grandchildren of these first-generation immigrants. Now, having said all this, it's still unfair to expect our parents to, you know, just completely let go of these roots and follow what we prefer. We've got to remember that, you know, their walk with Christ is just as important as ours. And it's definitely more important than our convenience. So what we are going to be discussing in the next part of the episode might come across as harsh, but we're actually coming from a place where, like we said, we don't want our church to die. We don't want our Indian churches to die. We want to see it thrive and we want to take action to prevent it from dying in the first place. So that's where we're coming from. Now, we'll be talking from the Malayali Pentecostal view here. But these are conversations that have happened, and I've been part of these conversations when I was in the Mahatma Church as well, where we try to engage younger people, people who were born here. So this is not a conversation that's specifically to Pentecostals, but a conversation that I think all churches everywhere needs to be having. But we're going to focus on the Pentecostal wing. And if you're not non-Pentecostal and you're listening to this, you can certainly take some tips, I guess, from this and hopefully enforce it in your churches because we want to see your churches grow as well. Now, there are many more Indian churches in the US, right? Because they've been long established compared to the Indian churches here in the UK. And they've gone through several generations and we almost have like a benefit of hindsight. So we can look back and see what happened there, look at the patterns, etc. 
And we look back and see how these churches grew and what happened after their children grew into adults and they had children of their own, is that unfortunately, in many cases, as these children grew older, they just felt like they don't belong in these churches. And once they're adults, they leave, at least for a period of time, if not forever. And I'm not just talking about, you know, leaving to go to another church, because let's be real, that's not the end of the world. They're still attending a church. Yeah. But I'm talking about people completely leaving the faith. And how many times have we had pastors come over from the US and been like, oh, I'm so, so glad to see all these youth that are passionate for God. Because when I went to the US last month, I saw that the churches were sort of emptying out. That sort of thing. And at first I was like, amen. Yes, we are passionate. UK greater than US. Exactly. But, (laughs) you know, in our hearts, we know that slowly we're sort of heading in that direction as well. And if we don't do something about it, the same, we're going to have the same end. And I think one of the reasons why young people feel like they don't belong in these churches is because they've not gone through the same struggles as their parents are, like moving into this country and settling down. And like we've said, these Churches were built by people who struggled, who have made a lot of sacrifices to come in this country. And they have this shared experience of settling down into this country. And the sermons that we hear in these in these churches are often of the same kind. They target the life of the parents who came here, struggled, and they always say, you know, things like, don't forget where you've come from, you know, you're now a part of this country. But the children who are born here and lived here most of their lives are like, well, I am part of this country. I was born here. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so a lot of these sermons don't really pull or don't really tug the heartstrings of these of these children. And now the children's children are still going to the same church, hearing the same type of sermons, and they're, they're finding it less and less engaging. Therefore, one of the problems is that the content of the sermons are missed or not understood by these young people. And the other thing is, more obviously, most of the sermons are in Malayalam. Right. Which means our young people won't be able to really understand them. Yes, we do sometimes have English translations to the Malayalam sermons, but let's be real. Right. It doesn't really flow. And the translations don't have the intended impact. Yeah. I mean, I remember this because uh, there was this Ashin and Chechi who I'd taken to the church and brought back from the church who are not Malayali. Mm. And they would attend the Malayalam service. They, they were from Telugu. So it's not like their language is very different to ours. It's similar, but it's it's different. And I would ask them, well, what did you think of the sermon? And this was when they would have this translations. Now, we are biased as Malayalis because we hear the Malayalam, we understand it. And then we hear the English and we understand it. And we think, yeah, what's just been said has translated well. Therefore, the person who's just listening to the English, it must make sense to them. That's when something switched in my head, where I was speaking to Zachin and he said... I actually didn't understand a lot of it. It didn't make a lot of sense. Just listening to the English didn't make any sense. And I was thinking to myself, well, if that's the case, then what about a lot of the young people, the second and third generation young people who are at these churches, listening to these translations, and we were apparently doing this for them, they're not getting anything out of it. Now, these translators and these Chechis and Ashima who do the translations are doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. But if the impact that we want to happen is not happening, why are we doing it then? And the same thing goes with songs as well. Most of the songs are in Malayalam. And, you know, we do slide in a couple of English songs here and there. But 
it's still going to have that Malayali twang to it. I mean, if you're listening and you go to a Malayali church, you know what I'm talking about. You know yeah. exactly what I'm talking it's, about. It doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal or any other denomination. We all know what you're talking about. Yeah, here. you yeah. can't take the Malayali out of, you know, yeah. the Malayali. <laughs> anyway, we're lucky that our church has a dedicated English service, right? Mm-hmm. And before this whole COVID situation and lockdown and things, we had a few non-Indians attending the service as well. Which is great and which is what the church really should aspire to be. Even though, I have to say as a side note, even though we had English services, I'm just thinking, if I was a non-Indian person who came to these English churches, I'd still feel quite left out and like there would be a bit of a culture shock because all of us are wearing our amazing and beautiful Indian outfits, you know. So it's really easy to spot someone who's (laughs) not Indian not just because they don't look like us, but because they are not even wearing the same type of clothes as us. So it, it must be hard for a non-Indian person coming into that type of scene. We kind of need to be thinking about these cultural associations, especially in these English services, right? These English services, we try to target more towards younger people and for people outside of the Indian community. So then why are we still clinging on to these Indian cultural ties? Good point. Now, we've raised quite a few points here in this in this conversation with each other and, and with you, our listeners. And I just want us to think about this for, for a second. We're looking across the Atlantic and we've read this article from Charles Samuel. And we are seeing the dying embers of the churches that have spent time not investing in English services. And now, on this side of the pond, having this as hindsight. And then for us to now follow suit... As the American churches, it's, it's madness. It is of the utmost importance that the Indian church needs to be investing its time into creating English services because otherwise the children eventually will leave if they're not being fed in their own language. And when we say leave, we don't just mean leave to go to another church, but maybe even leave their faith altogether. We've seen this happen in the US and it has started happening in the UK. And if these Indian churches don't involve... The only way to keep people in your churches is hoping for more immigrants to keep coming, looking for jobs and hoping for more Malayali aunties to look into a career in nursing. Yeah, so that's uh, quite a niche market a niche right market, there, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. hoping that not only are these uh, Malayali aunties looking for nursing jobs, but also they're Christian to come and fill our churches. So these English services now not only need to be started, but also be placed at the same importance as the Malayalam service. So it require uh, a dedicated pastor who can speak the language well and also relate to the youths and the older adults who have grown in the UK now. And that's important. And it's not just something that should be done by the youths, right? Some of these English services are run purely by the youths because, oh, the youths can speak English. But some of these youths, I mean, I've seen some interesting services being run by youths with Terrible theology, bad doctrines being shared by these people who don't know any better because they shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place. So it's, it's an example of the blind leading the blind, if you will. Yeah, this might sound a bit harsh, but it's definitely a better approach than trying to force our kids to learn Malayalam, you know, to fit in with our Malayalam services. We've seen cases where Sunday school time has been taken up to teach Malayalam. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. It's, it's happened in... I, th- I think it's a common thing, you know, because it's happened at the Martha One Church as well. Yeah. And you're giving up Sunday school time to do that, yeah. Exactly. Crazy. 
the Sunday school is to teach the word of God, right? It's not to teach our mother tongue to the children to maintain the culture. Of course, oh well, unless of course we're teaching them Hebrew or Greek to further understanding of the scripture. Uh, otherwise, leave the cultural languages to be taught at either a school or a home. Yeah, exactly. You know, culture is important. I'm not saying it's not, but it's not more important than God. What our kids need is not a Malayalam lesson, but they really need hard truths from the Bible. That's what they yeah. need. And that's what Sunday school is for, really. Right. And we mustn't fail to learn, like we said, from what happened in the U.S., Back there, the US Indian churches, from what we read from Charles Samuel's articles, they really desperately tried to mould the children and youth to try and fit into their culture. But it didn't work then. And what makes us think, right? What makes us think that it's going to work now? We're not saying that the church has to completely overthrow its values. Or we're not saying that the Indian cultural links have to completely, you know, cold turkey just be cut off. Now, of course... For people coming to the country, these these services are great, like we've said before. But for the next generation coming into place, the children of these of these immigrants, these services won't just work. Now we've mentioned Indian churches and Malayali churches, but actually, these are the same issues that are faced by Korean churches, African churches, and they're all facing the struggle. And we have to get ahead of this, folks. Otherwise, we're going to be let behind. Now I'll, we want to end this episode with hope. I tried to paint a picture with you about the dying embers of the Indian churches, but I don't think that's how it is going to end here for the UK. I think, you know, there could be a phoenix growing out of these churches. There will be a rise in the US and the UK of Indian churches that have learned how to involve their youths and engage them into the church community. And it is possible, folks, as it is said in Philippians chapter 4, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the promise we can hold on, that the suffering that the Indian church is going through in a general sense can be overcome with Christ Jesus. And I hope that people who have heard the part one of this episode will be full of hope of what the future can hold. Now, we make this episode with... I don't want to say fear and trembling, but we know that we may get some backlash for this. I'm sure that people won't like the fact that we're openly talking about this, but it's something that we all know is happening. We really want to encourage you. If you find your church to be in a similar situation where the younger members are disengaged and you're worried about the future of the church, please talk to people. Talk to your pastor and elders. And to these pastors and elders, we humbly request that you give ear to these young people and be open to discussions, rather than taking offence at what they're saying. They're not being rebellious, they're just asking and wanting some answers about how to engage their youth. So the final questions that we want to leave you with in this episode is, what's the vision of your church? Is it to continue taking these immigrant families, who have now been settled in the country for a few years, and to help their children to grow in their faith, Or is it only to serve the new immigrants that are coming into the country? Now, we are of the belief that within the same church, both these needs can be met. We just have to sort of be careful about how we do it. And now just to summarise on what was discussed in this episode. To resolve the issue of losing young people from our Indian churches, we need to ensure that the church adapts and has English services with the dedicated pastor with communion, and therefore held an equal importance to our Malayali and other ethnocentric services. 
Now, we're not saying this needs to happen right now. It is a slow process. It may take years. It might even take up to five years for this to happen. But there needs to be a goal within churches to ensure that this does happen. And so, that was part one of this episode where we discussed the idea that the Indian church is dying. If you can relate, please share this in your churches and do get in touch with us via Instagram or Facebook message and let us know your thoughts. We'd love to continue this conversation. We hope that you will join us for part two in which we will dissect Charles Samuel's article in more detail. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We hope you have been watered to water. God bless you.